All right, fellow film school for marketers, welcome back to the FSM podcast. We are on episode number 33 now, and I am your host, Mr. William Schultz, the lead video sales and marketing consultant at Impact. I'm joined by the brilliant Mariah Anderson today as well. And today we have an awesome guest on. We're actually talking about the, the cost and the benefit of different categories or tiers of sales and marketing videos. Uh, with us today, we have Mr. Hector Cortez. He's done everything from shoddy little $500, $5,000 videos all the way up to large agency level videos for agency clients. And actually, Hector, before we even get started, can you just give us a bit of a snapshot into your history and what you've done in the past and where you are today? Yeah, of course. So straight out of college, I was one of those guys that uh, picked up a DSLR, really got into content, figuring out how to make it myself. Um, Realized early on that I had an eye for it. Um, so the first thing I kind of went and did is connect with businesses that are looking for content and seeing how I can develop my skills while also helping uh, businesses grow uh, their market share and what they're doing and, and getting in front of their customers. Um, so in college, started up a company called Heco, basically producing um, content from $5,000 to $15,000 range, uh, working with medium-sized businesses uh, to help them tell their stories talk about their products and their services. Um, from there, uh, I jumped into a startup where I focus mainly on content marketing to help grow our user base. Um, so utilizing a ton of video, a ton of animation, uh, a ton of uh, digital assets to, to help grow our audience and our consumer base. And then from there, recently joined Drive Through Productions and Post, which is a video production company that's been around for about 35 years in the Minneapolis Twin Cities area that mainly focuses on high-end um, advertising uh, videos for TV broadcast, uh, working in partnerships with uh, some of the largest agencies in the world. I think drive-through is such a such an interesting model of a company because you're a, you're a video production company that sort of partners with agencies to make really cool content for your clients or for the right. agency's clients, excuse me. So can you talk a bit about where drive-through has come from and what you see sort of changing in that world as the agency model sort of continues to shift with the, the rise of the new decade and what's been changing in the world of video and sales and marketing? Yeah, 100%. So drive-through's model kind of uh, came about in the early 60s, late 70s, where you did have these larger creative agencies that were coming up with the concepts uh, but because of barrier to entry in the video world, um, you, you really couldn't specialize in the creative and, and the production at the same time. So where these kind of companies emerged was, hey, uh, you give us a roadmap of what you're looking to make. And because we're the experts in the production side, in the cinema side, in the director, DP, lighting, grip side, uh, where there's a lot of barrier to get into it, um, we, were those, we were the vessel to basically get in those ideas done in a very high-end, polished way so that brands um, brands and agencies could produce their vision ultimately and then having that being broadcasted at the highest level on TV. So that's kind of where it, that's kind of the inception point of, of drive-through and, and kind of the era it emerged from. Um, from there, it's kind of adapted over time where we still very much work with advertising agencies and we're kind of the custom home builder in the sense that uh, the agencies are coming with the plan and we're just executing their vision. Um, but as you said, kind of the admin flow of the industry, uh, 
companies such as ourselves are now actually working a lot more with direct client because the client kind of has a vision and idea and we can help them execute that. I have a question for you, Hector, in terms of kind of what's changed for you in terms of working with clients. So since that barrier to entry in terms of producing video content um, has made it easier for people on their own to take that in-house and start to do it, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what your thoughts are on companies maybe not having as high of production value and creating content versus investing in something that's of higher quality. Right. Yeah, so I mean, a bit of my experience at Hecko, the, the production company I owned, smaller scale, uh, for about five years, that entire world, um, you know, operated in a, in a budget that was a lot lower than what I'm working with at DriveThru. Um, and, you know, the biggest difference between the two, I'd say, is that at the, at the DriveThru production size, the kind of companies we're working with, they're pushing out these pieces of content to massive audiences. You're talking like million plus eyeballs are on these pieces of content. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're you know, played during very high-end uh, shows or TVs or uh, you know, even Super Bowl. We've done some Super Bowl content. Um, so it, it's really, uh, it's made for a company that is gonna get a ton, a ton of eyeballs on these pieces of content. And it's very, very vital for them to get it absolutely perfect. Mm. Um, and they can't waste any seconds. Um, and, you know, even just how the, the uh, deployment of this content works from this traditional sense is that, you know, there's the 60-second spots, there's the 30-second spots. And now you're kind of getting into 15-second uh, pre-roll type of things as well. But for these larger companies, they come to drive through because they need a premium polished product that aligns with you know, their high end, high tier brand that they've created over, you know, 50 plus years. So it is a very specific to a larger uh, kind of company. Um, And and frankly, 100% overkill for anyone that's operating in a different size business. Uh, And that's just a fact. I have a ton of clients that I had from HECA. Um, Mm. For example, I I won't name drop because I haven't really got permission, but some of the clients here locally that we produced really great pieces of work uh, with a lower budget that worked really well for their space because they weren't going to be putting a million dollars of ad spend behind their content, mm-hmm. but you know, they were, they were very uh, interested in getting their message out to the local area that they operate. Yeah. So for example, some restaurants um, that do pretty well in this region want to get in front of their customers, but they really don't have a hundred thousand plus to spend. You can still get a really great product that works for that space. Yeah. I think that's a really cool point you just made there is, Deciding really what the trade-offs are when you're when you're dealing with a hundred thousand dollar budget versus a fifty thousand budget dollar budget versus like a five thousand dollar budget. For a lot of our listeners, I don't think they're able to differentiate really the the deliverables or the difference in dynamic of what happens on those shoots, um, or like the number of people involved. Could you right. speak a bit to the trade-off of an organization that maybe needs like both of those types of videos at certain points? Like, what's the real difference between? like a $5,000 video versus a $100,000 video? And when do you think it makes sense to use each of those options? Yeah, so specifically on the high tier side, you know, you're really looking at creating content that's around very, very important messages. Um, So for example, if you're a car maker and you have a new model coming out and this is the first time you're introducing it to the market, uh, that that would be an ideal situation where you want to go uh, as high end as you can, you want to make sure that 
you're showing all the cool features, all the great things about that vehicle, and you're getting people excited about it. So kind of like the hero or flagship video for different products. That's where it, you know, it pays a bit more uh, and there's more ROI uh, when you're introducing very important things. Now to counter that, if you're doing training videos or you're doing a small tutorial on how to you know, do roofing tiles or something, for example, there isn't really a need to overspend on that because it's, it's a very niche piece of content that's going to a very specific type of consumer. Um, and you can sacrifice production there uh, because you know, the ROI most likely wouldn't be there. Um, and you know, it, it, it really just comes down to where is it cost effective to put more, more of your funding into high-end stuff and where it's cost effective to create more content that's not as high-end but still really valuable to a customer. So I love that insight, Hector. I'm curious what you think the, the real like, benefits are of a lower budget video. Like, what are the pros of going into a video and having a lower budget? What do you think people get out of those that they may sort of miss on the commercially like, sexy, higher budget film? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You know, the, the the real value in lower end production, uh, I, I can kind of pinpoint in a couple things. So velocity, um, you can crank out a video in ten minutes that goes really in depth about what you're trying to talk about and can be consumed really easily, uh, created really easily, deployed really easy, and consumed really easy. Um, whereas on the higher end, you know, uh, you're looking at about a forty forty five day. Uh, cycle from conception to creation to edit to, you know, and then deployment can take any longer time. So really it's velocity is where you're gaining a ton of value. Um, you can say more things quicker to an audience that you're uh, looking to talk to where again, on the high end, there's this very long process because there's a lot of refinement and polishing that needs to be done to get it to that level. Um, so if you're looking to get a message out quickly, um, and, and multiple messages out for that matter, uh, you can create um, really quickly, deploy it really quickly, and, and talk about more things um, at a faster pace than with any higher end production. On top of that, uh, from a knowledge perspective, this higher end tier of video content really requires specific skill sets and very specific disciplines. Uh, where, you know, let's say for lighting, there can be an entire department with 10 people that are literally just focusing on lighting to make sure that the, the image looks as good as it can. And then you go into audio where you have the best audio people um, focusing on voiceovers, uh, making sure there isn't uh, any weird noises or background or things like that. And then you're focused, then you have, you know, the best DPs, uh, which are shooting the best kind of angles and content and images that they can. So there's a lot of hyper focus in each specific skill set. Where on the low end, it doesn't have to be overly complicated, and you can just pull out your phone and do a selfie video, um, and and you don't have to uh, go super in depth with some of those things. And and you know, oftentimes it's it's pretty forgivable because technology has improved to where it kind of splits the difference on not having really good lighting. Um, you know, your phone will do half of the work now for you. So you can get away with things that you couldn't have in the past. Yeah, I'm actually curious um, what your thoughts are on. So obviously we've talked about how the clients that you're working with, with these higher budget are obviously bigger brands, bigger companies, much higher tier than like a local roofing company or, company or something who right. can get away with a lower budget. But do you think the way that we 
are consuming content and how much video plays into our lives day to day in social media and other aspects that it is going to be more forgiving for these larger brands to come across maybe a, a bit less polished? Like, do you see us going down that path in any way? Or do you think that there's really no Yeah, effect? Yeah, 100%. And you know, that's something we've noticed here too, is that in the past, you'd have a lot more budget for some of these larger tier one videos. But now that's kind of getting split amongst tier one, which is us, and then tier two or tier three, which are going to be more of the social pieces, more of the casual stuff. You know, I mean, I was in I was on TikTok the other day, and I saw Pepsi uh, mm-hmm. as one of the ads, uh, which is very high in brand. I'm sure everyone's heard of Pepsi, but it was clearly shot on an iPhone, you know, and, and where they kind of put more of their energy was the content itself. So they had a really nice, you know, professional dancer on there doing mm-hmm. his thing uh, with some good music. But really, it, it looked a lot more similar to user-created content versus what you'd see on a Super Bowl ad. Um, so I think absolutely, like, the industry has kind of changed as far as you need to be putting more out there and you can't be spending 45 days on every piece of content. You should be creating, um, you know, some easier, quicker content out there so that you can stay top of mind and be part of the conversation at large. You know, it's, it really has changed. And I don't know if anyone's figured it out the perfect balance, the perfect mix. You know, one part of one piece of the higher end production, um, which is a little bit more, um, it's not something that people really think about as, as often, but brand perception mm-hmm. and, you know, where the, where companies want to position themselves. You think of like a Mercedes-Benz. Um, there's a ton of value in them producing higher-end content because mm-hmm. they want to continue to establish that, hey, we're a very luxurious brand and we can afford this kind of content. And, yeah. it's, and there's more of a wow factor. Um, and that's that coincides with who they are as a brand. Um, you know, so that's why you're not seeing companies just completely stop and just posting Instagram videos like those Mercedes-Benz or, you know, Delta Airlines. You know, there is a ton of value in keeping that status. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see what that shift continues to look like in terms of percentage. Because like you said, I don't think there's some magic formula right now. It kind of right. depends on the brand and where they're seeing a lot of the traction come through. But it is interesting, like what you mentioned about TikTok and a brand like Pepsi really focusing right. some that user-generated content feel for sure. Right, right. And, you know, the thing about these social platforms is the users that are on them expect this a very specific style, yeah. uh, a very specific kind of format that they're used to seeing, their mm-hmm. friends create, the families create. So, and, and you guys probably remember this, and it's happening less and less often now, but, you know, you're on Instagram, you're scrolling through stories, and then you have this really, really high-end video and you immediately ignore it. It's almost like a flag that goes, yeah. hey, this is an ad because it looks like an ad in the traditional sense. So it actually ended up not really working on these yeah. platforms. You know, so in the, you know, probably about five years ago, you were really seeing that a lot and these, these ads were getting ignored and, and you know, the, the, the advertising people, you know, they're very smart. They look at the analytics, how often you watched it, how, how much you watched it and they saw those numbers dropping but the spend was still really high so then they're like, okay, well, this isn't really working. Uh, it wasn't, they weren't able to just take this high-end content made for broadcast TV and transition to the Instagram store. So really, the kind of content that they have developed to work better on this platform looks like user-created content. You know, even though it's still Pepsi, it, it needs to fit that uh, medium, that specific platform. So you have to, be, you have to acknowledge which platforms you're on as well. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I agree with you. It's so funny because there's some companies that still I feel like are kind of stuck in that more polished feel. And yeah, I swipe through right away. But then sometimes I get caught off guard and be like, wait, is this an ad or is this <laughs> someone I follow? Like, right. Yeah. Really good about making it feel pretty genuine. And um, yeah. And you know, the funny thing is, and I'll bring kind of some of my past experience into this, but when I was working at Renera, shout out to the Renera guys. Uh, they're an app startup. Uh, I was with them for about a year. Uh, we were doing a lot of uh, Snapchat content. So I was developing a lot of content for Snapchat. And, um, you know, because we were spending a decent amount on the ad platforms, at a certain point, Snapchat will reach out to you and they'll go, hey, looks like you're using our platform quite a bit. Here's some tips and tricks on what works. Um, the type of content I was creating was very, like, animation-based. So it was a very, like, fun, bubbly, lots of colors happening. Um, and those are performing pretty well for us. But the first piece of advice that, the Snapchat employee, I forget, I think he was like a content specialist, something like that. Um, he was like, hey, you know, I love the content. It looks like it's working for you. You guys are getting downloads for the app. Uh, but I would recommend just shooting some more organic stuff straight from an iPhone that mm -hmm. kind of goes into it and see how that performs. And that was like his number one piece of advice. And I, I you know, I was kind of taken back a little bit because I was thinking, the higher quality I can make this, the more effective it's going to be. But it's not necessarily the case. Sometimes you have to speak the language of the platform. And, and that's like what he said. And I'm sure they have a ton of analytics behind why that works. Uh, so one that always pops into my mind. And for me, like I can kind of tell when something's an ad pretty quickly just because I'm in the industry. Uh, but you guys have probably heard of this, the earning app. You guys heard of earning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they've kind of followed that that ethos to a T where it's like shot on an iPhone. They try to make it as organic as they can, but then they just focus on having a clear message. Yeah. Kind of making it feel less ad like, and uh, you know, just deploying it on the proper platforms where that makes sense. And I'm sure it's working for them because they haven't really stopped. Um, <laughs> you know, one, one thing people forget is that when you're seeing ads over and over and over again, like someone's paying for those. Yeah. So whatever's out there and existing and, and is you know being rerun in a sense it must be working out to a certain extent for them so i've also realized to not overcomplicate the formula and always do something wildly different because what people are spending money on more than likely is working out for them in the long term especially if you're seeing the same kind of format over and over wow okay so <laughs> we've gone over a ton of content and it's really informative stuff. I want to try and wrap up a couple succinct takeaways for the viewer that, that just things I thought about throughout this. One is that every single business is now really required to be a media company at, at some level, one way or another, because as we have more and more advertising given to us as consumers, I think we get better and better at sort of the ad shield in our minds. Hector, you made an awesome point that like high, high production quality video now sometimes is immediately a turnoff. So, because we know what we're watching, it's too transparently an ad. And it's also shown like on a medium that it's clear to us that the business isn't very savvy with how the medium actually performs. So not only do we all as businesses need to find our balance between high production quality stuff and low production quality stuff to be more humanizing, more transparent and genuine. We also need to understand how to meet consumers on the platform, kind of on their terms and with content that makes them feel like the business knows the platform itself and knows the dynamic of the platform as well. 
So I'm curious as, as we wrap this up to get your feedback, Hector, or your maybe just opinion on where you see this continuing to shift. Like where do you think things are headed five years from now or 10 years from now with, with your industry and, and also with our industry here at Impact where we help to insource more videographers? Yeah, for sure. So I, I definitely think that, you know, in the old days, there was this kind of argument like, well, quality versus quantity. Um, and I think in that era, that reigned true uh, because it was hard to make good videos. And because it was hard, the ones that looked the best really stood out and, and were more impactful. Well, now we've kind of seen a shift where you really need to be out there a lot more to just be one remembered or two just interacted with. You know, During this conversation, if you were to be on LinkedIn, there's probably 100, 200, 300, who knows how many pieces of content you could have encountered that you completely missed. You know, And then in 20 minutes from now, if, if someone were to post then, you interacted with that piece of content. So really the, the opportunity to encounter someone in the wild with content, um, that time has shrunk a lot. So you kind of, you know, from a certain standpoint, you have to be producing more so you just have the opportunity to encounter people. Now that's specific to platforms that have feeds where you can scroll by. YouTube's a little bit different and I'm, I'm, not as, I'm not as in tune with how YouTube functions really well. I know there's like the subscriber model. So there's that piece of building subscribers and, and having people interact with that kind of flow, I guess. Um, but really some of the best YouTubers are producing content on a regular basis that's very specific to their audiences and what they enjoy. You do have to be producing more content more often. Uh, that's kind of my opinion. Um, and, and kind of what you guys, what you said earlier, Will, where like, from a B2B standpoint where it is very relationship-based, B2B, it's like you're looking for people that trust you and, and uh, think of you as an expert in your field. So instead of just like calling someone and saying, hey, this is what we do, you know, and telling them we're experts, it's almost like a show, don't tell. Like show me that you guys are experts in this by, you know, showing tutorials of how you do something, by showing me behind the scenes what's going on, by... Uh, talking to other people in that industry on a podcast or uh, pictures of being on set or pictures of the product or pictures of the design process. Like people want to see more of that to show that you're doing all the right things so that you can be trusted. Uh, you know, and so I think that's going to become more and more important because um, at the end of the day, I think it's, it's all about people knowing who you are, people trusting that you're good at what you do. And then, people thinking about you when, it, when they have that specific problem. So that's something that even at drive through, you know, we're starting to see that we need to be in front of people that utilize video production companies at a higher scale. Uh, and we need to be talking about how we do it, why we're better, um, who we're working with, uh, what our end product is, how we got to that point. Um, some of the in-between stuff like our editing, our VFX, uh, our voice work, you know, there's a lot of nuances to it and, I think talking about it as much as you can and showing off what makes you really good is really important because over time people will develop an opinion over you and where you kind of fit in. Uh, and then when your services are, are needed or are called for, you kind of become the first one to pop in, into uh, someone's mind. I love that ending. I love the, the position right there where you say, we're all in the business of building trust here. But honestly, before you can be trusted by anybody, you have to be remembered and known by them too. So touch points, right. touch points, touch points. 
As every 100%. business starts to find their balance between low production quality stuff with a high quantity rate and then some of that high production quality stuff with a lower uh, quantity rate, obviously. It's just about finding that, that fit and that, that balance that makes sense for you and your brand and your business and your prospects at the end of the day. So Hector, thank you, man, so much for coming on this uh, podcast with FSM. If below in the description, I'm going to link to Hector's LinkedIn as well, just so in case anybody listening wants to reach out to him, I know he's an easygoing guy. Uh, I'm assuming, man, you want to take a couple of messages from some of our audience on just a a couple of Q&As. And for everybody else watching, if you found this helpful, please please, please, please subscribe to the channel and also like this video. If you have any questions for myself or for Mariah or for Hector, feel free to leave them in the comments. We always do read all of the comments of our videos as well and reply to as many of them as we can. And until next time, guys, keep learning. Thanks for watching.